Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and with me is my co-host, Dan Peisner. Dan, how's it going? Going well, Andy. Good to see you, Dan. And on our episode today, we're going to be talking about uh, sales tax audits and the three things that you've learned in your recent uh, working with sales tax audits. But before we get started on that, Dan, just by way of introduction, this podcast is meant to help e-com businesses, e-commerce businesses, and their tax advisors uh, deal with the ever-changing world of sales taxes and just give some general tips as we go along. So, Dan, uh, you were just mentioning off the air that uh, you've been working on a lot of sales tax audits lately. And so I just quizzed you on, okay, Dan, so speak, thinking of e-commerce businesses, we usually uh, – we're usually trying to help them figure out where they need to start collecting sales tax. They're trying to avoid getting audited uh, for past transactions for sure. But eventually, uh, whether or not they get registered or not, uh, they will be, there's a very good chance that they'll be audited if they're a business of any size. Because Dan, as you know, the larger states have six to 800 auditors. And uh, they're very, very active in conducting sales tax audits. Uh, and a business of any size can expect in their lifetime to be audited maybe many times. And the very large businesses are audited on a constant cycle. So let's share, Dan. First of all, uh, let's go one by one. Name your – so you're working on a bunch of audits for different types of businesses, uh, most of which – at least have an e-commerce element, and some of which are entirely e-commerce related. So what's your number one takeaway from all these audits that you're working on right now? What's your number one takeaway? Well, my number one takeaway is first and foremost, don't panic. You get, you've, uh, you, get that, you get that scary letter in the mail, or you get that phone call from somebody purporting to be from the state of X, they're getting ready to conduct a routine sales and use tax audit. Uh, you're, you start thinking of all the bad and scary things that can happen. Think about the, your, your buddy that just got audited and talked about the, the hard time that he had. Uh, but the, the most important thing overall is to not panic. Uh, every audit is vastly different. And uh, until you get started, you really don't know what you're going to get. But uh, uh, almost while there can be some bad situations, uh, if you if you start off with with a, a with a clear head and and approach it very logically, then you've got the best shot at getting through it. So Dan, let me um, play the other side of that. Uh, so there's no good in panicking uh, when you get a notice that you're going to be audited for sales tax by a particular state. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just going to have to deal with it. But Maybe panic isn't the word, but if you recognize that you probably do have Nexus in the state that's about to audit you and you got some potential issues, I, w I would say that it might be worthwhile to sort of panic on other states that may be following up soon. Isn't that your experience that uh, states tend to share information with each other and once you get audited in one, it's not unusual to get audited by several more? Well, the states are not supposed to share information, and they're not supposed to – it's all supposed to be very confidential. 
but I will say that when that I've got a client that's probably with that that's being audited by been audited by about three or four states within the last couple of years uh, with with another couple that said they were going to audit them and then just kind of disappeared. So it's uh, it's very much once one gets you, there is I'd say there is definitely an increased chance that you're going to start getting calls from some of these other states. So I generally agree with you not to panic, uh, but uh, I also say uh, don't be too casual about it because uh, your best opportunity to reduce your your possible exposure, especially if you go back a lot of years, is is at least to evaluate whether you should do some voluntary disclosure in advance of being contacted by a state. Because with the possible exception of Michigan, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, once you've been even contacted by a state, uh, you don't have the option to, to do a voluntary disclosure. Uh, that is that is generally correct, Andy. Uh, we have seen Florida offer it before, but I haven't seen that pop up in a long time. Uh, Michigan does, and uh, I'm trying to think if I've seen another state, but generally speaking, once they've found you through their, their normal nexus, discovery, uh, enforcement, what you name your bureau, you're, you're pretty much out of options for voluntary disclosure, and it's you're at that point you're you're swinging towards damage mitigation through penalty waiver right so you have very little uh, opportunity once you've been notified so maybe don't panic about the state that's going to audit you there's nothing you can do but if you have sales in other states that might be appropriate time to panic mm, very much so all right what about takeaway number two Takeaway number two, uh, note, uh, as, uh, as uh, I once heard a wise man say, no one to hold and no one to fold. Uh, Want me to sing that, that song, Dan? Uh, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> I might resist. I didn't think you'd call me on that one. No I'm full of surprise. All right, there you go. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, uh, whenever you're, Whenever you get that audit letter, take a, a look at your, they'll, typically they'll give you an idea of what the audit period is going to be. Most states, it's about three years. There's a few that are four. Uh, look at what's happened in those last three or four years. If you've had some kind of a, let's say you had, uh, in one case, uh, had a client that changed accounting systems mid, uh, multiple times this has happened actually, a client changed their accounting system mid-period and they found that the data either before or after the transition wasn't quite the same. And you want to, if that's something that's happened, you want to bring that to the auditor's attention up front. Uh, one, if they, they're going to find out about it anyway, very likely. And two, if they don't, then when they go in and start looking at your, your sales transactions or your purchases, they may inadvertently, uh, since they have a, a habit of trying to project, rather than looking at every sales transaction or every purchase transaction you've made over a three or four year period, you may, it may be to your benefit if you've only had a say, let's, if you had four months that were bad or a year that was bad, you, you want that looked at separately from all your good data uh, because that could, depending on how that sample's picked, it could,
could greatly skew the result and, and end up being a, a big negative for you. Uh, so that, that's when you, you would bring that to an auditor's attention. On the so flip that's side, an example of uh, you got to know when to fold them, right? Right. You got to know when to fold. I got to give up that information for your own good because otherwise you could have a sample that is totally wrong and really prolong this thing, assuming you can fix it. Yeah. Once it's with sampling, once you start getting down the road and the sample's pulled, it gets to be pulled. It's pulling teeth to get the state to kind of back reverse on it. Uh, now, as to when to hold it, whenever an auditor starts requesting data, you typically want to be very, you want to, you don't want to volunteer a ton of information unless you really know what you're doing, uh, which is to say that you don't want to uh, start talking. If, if they ask for a month's worth of sales, you give them that month's worth of sales. If they ask if you've had any mergers or acquisitions in the last four years, you give them that information exactly to those four years. You don't want to go tell them about those assets you bought prior to the, uh, the period they're asking about. And you don't want to, uh, you generally don't want to volunteer and unless it's an overpayment of tax, uh, in which case, by all means, volunteer that information. But well, uh, even in that case, let's say you discover that you have, or you hire us, say, to come in and do an overpayment review, very common thing to do when you're under audit, and you discover that you have overpaid some tax. So going with our theme of knowing when to hold them, when to fold them, you might want to hold on to that one for a while. And our strategy typically is, let the auditor do their thing, let them finish their work, and before they turn the audit in, say, oh, by the way, I also have done my own review, and I note that we have these invoices that we overpaid tax on. Can you just give me credit for those things? And the reason why we like to do that is <clears throat> we want the auditor to have stated that they have finished their work because then it becomes very difficult for them to justify going back and trying to find more things to assess you on. If you present that at the very beginning, they have a target for what they're trying to eliminate. So we like to wait. So we like to hold them and then fold them at the end, kind of bluff them at the end. That's, that's very correct. Um, that, and additionally, if they're looking to turn the assignment in, as long as, as you check all the boxes with, with your overpaid tax, they may not dig too much too carefully into it and do an exhaustive review. They may just want to turn it in and move on to the next assignment. All right, very good. How about uh, your, your next takeaway? My next takeaway is, and sometimes this can seem counterintuitive, especially uh, when they start asking you for a lot of information, but try to work with your auditor and not against them. You hear too many horror stories of the company that thinks, ah, I'll show them. I'm going to put the auditor right by the freezers in the back. and I'm going to make it as uncomfortable for them as possible. Well, they'll remember that when you start, when you start kind of pushing the envelope on some of the things that you're providing them or your theory as to why something is not taxable or why those numbers don't line up. Uh, there's a very big difference between an auditor that just that will as long will take a look at your reasoning and say that sounds reasonable I'm going to accept this and an auditor that decides they want to put on their junior detective hat 
read every contract for parts through every line and start coming up with look and start really going outside the box to look for reasons to disprove. Uh, I've worked with both and uh, I can tell you, which I can tell you, I definitely prefer uh, the auditors that, that if you work with them, they, they really try not to make your life miserable. Uh, that, uh, that doesn't mean you, uh, you still have to know when to hold and, and know when to fold naturally, but you try to get them their information in a timely manner you you try to get them what they need and you you even if you can't you try to be as polite as possible explain what's going on and realize that, that at the end of the day they're just a, a person trying to do a job they probably got too many audits on their plate for for the hours in the day and that uh and when all is said and done then that uh, a little bit of kindness can go a long way all right, very good, Dan. I agree with all those things you said. Um, and you and I worked on an audit not that long ago, a rather large one, where the taxpayer client of ours, before we ever got involved, uh, just didn't dedicate any resources to the sales tax audit at all. And um, when the auditor requested information, they they stalled, they didn't get it, and uh, months turned into a year and uh, close to two years. And finally the auditor said, fine, uh, I can't wait any longer. And just kind of went on her own and just scheduled a bunch of things, you know, parking garage, just very, very large assets that probably weren't taxable, uh, purchases made overseas and shipped overseas. Uh, just so many different, and turned into like a $2 million assessment that uh, really should have been maybe 10% of that or 20% of that. Uh, and it became really very difficult for us to supply enough documentation to just get it down to something reasonable. And the auditor just would be very polite and meet with us, but uh, very, very stingy on giving up the reductions that really should have been, should never have been scheduled. Certainly. Uh, I cannot think of any audit in recent or distant memory where the auditor going off on their own ever ended well. Mm -hmm. uh, they, that's if they're going off on their own and trying to find information, they're putting on their detective hats and they, uh, they don't have access to the internal people that you do. They don't have access to the, the sales guys that work the account to tell you what actually happened. They don't have that. They just have the first thing that pops to mind. And if you haven't given them information, it's probably going to be, how do I find a way to make this taxable? Because ultimately they most audit state auditors start with the position that this is going to be taxable until you show me otherwise. Right. All right, Dan, uh, was that three takeaways? I believe it was. I think so. Um, just to, I want to just provide a quick uh, bonus, bonus takeaway. Well, uh, more of a, a summarization of right. kind of that for our uh, for our, all of our e-commerce uh, friends out there. The uh, I think the kind of the takeaway is that the sales tax audits are are never fun. Uh, there's a lot of documentation requests, a lot of back and forth, and a lot of tax terminology. But if if you you don't panic, you uh, you know when to hold, you know when to fold, and you try to generally be, try to work with your auditor and, and not throw an adversarial relationship. 
uh, as much as possible, then you're, you're going to have the smoothest ride possible getting through your audit. And uh, in, the, in the end, if you find, you're, if you find that you're, uh, you're stuck, you've got a, a, a problem or you just, you, you just know you're not speaking the auditor's language, there's a, there are lots and lots of people out there that can help you. All right. Very good summary, Dan. Thank you very, very much for sharing that uh, wonderful experience you've had recently. And uh, that concludes this week's episode of the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Andy.